I've been looking forward to this Sunday for a while for a couple of reasons. Because of this new sermon series, we just went through the book of Philippians. Now we're about to start a dramatically different style book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And you can go ahead and flip there if you would. While you're flipping there, I was also very excited to finally be at this service to welcome Alicia here. Um, I was very excited to see how it would go, trying to have a, a new style during worship. And I'm enjoying it. I'm going to read the entire first chapter of Joshua. That's our text for this morning. Uh, typically, I'll have you stand. I'm not going to do so this morning because it's lengthy, and I don't want anyone to be distracted because they're getting tired. I, I just want you to hear it. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version, which might be different if you have NIV. Uh, that's what I'll be studying from this series. But let's read God's Word. Let's listen for God's voice. And may He give us ears to hear. This is Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Now it came about, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself. For within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. To the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you shall cross before your brothers in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he gives you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. 
Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I confess to you openly that this is the only thing this morning that's going to benefit us. And I pray that you would help me to convey it clearly and well. Uh, please protect me from error as I preach and teach this morning. Um, please prepare all our hearts to receive it. I believe that, that you have us here for a reason this morning. I believe that your word will accomplish its purposes. It's not going to return to you without doing so. I rest in that. And I just pray for your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To understand the significance of this passage, which is huge, we have to understand the history that led up to it. Okay? So we are going to have a really quick history lesson from the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, to right here where we're reading in Joshua. Alright? So stick with me. In the beginning, God creates everything. Amen. Including people. Yes. He creates people on a special plot of land called the Garden of Eden. But people rebel against God. People are fruitful. They multiply. Eventually their rebellion is just so bad that God wipes the slate clean except for one family. Family of Noah. You know, Noah and the ark. Everybody remembers that story. The waters drain and, and evaporate or whatever happened to the waters and the ark settles. And people begin to be fruitful and multiply again. Now, a couple generations later, God picks a special, uh, not a special, just a man named Abram. Later, he renames him Abraham. You guys remember Abraham? Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. <laughs> God took this man and made a promise to him. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, out of your descendants. This nation is going to be my special nation, my people. And I'm going to give you a special land. So leave where you are and go out to this special land called the promised land. It's the land that God promised to Abraham, the land of Canaan. So Abraham obeyed and he, he went and he had faith. He had a son, Isaac. You remember the story? They were too old to have children. And God said, no, you're going to have a son. They laughed because they're so old. And so they named him Isaac, which means laughter. God says to Isaac, I'm going to fulfill this promise to your family. There's going to be a great nation. And you're going to have this special land. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Remember Jacob, his brother Esau is hairy. Um, God says the same thing to Jacob. He says, I'm going to fulfill this promise. You're going to have this special land, this promised land. Jacob goes on to have 12 sons who would later become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons' names is Joseph. Okay, you remember this story, the, the colorful coat, the kid who was his father's favorite. The other 11 brothers couldn't stand it, sold him to slavery in Egypt. Okay, there's one, there's one thing I forgot to mention. When God was speaking with Abraham, he said, before you get into this special land, your descendants are going to have to spend about 400 years captive in a strange land. Well, flash back forward to where I was. Joseph, in this lineage, is sold into slavery in Egypt. God gives him favor. He becomes the king's right-hand man. From slavery to right-hand man. God does that. That doesn't just happen. 
His power enables him to bring the other 11 brothers and their families into Egypt because of a famine to protect them. So now all of Israel, this is the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel are, are in Egypt. Again, they're fruitful and they multiply like crazy. So much so that when the next king comes along, he doesn't remember Joseph really, the, the favor that God gave him. And he doesn't really have a special regard for Israel. All he sees is this huge nation that can easily take over Egypt. So he decides, well, I'm going to do the best thing I know to do and enslave them, make them slave labor. That will oppress them. That will keep them from taking over. So for about 400 years, indeed, Israel is enslaved in Egypt. All the while, this promise of a special land where they will dwell is just out there. For 400 years, enslaved in Egypt. And then God sends a deliverer in the form of a little baby in a basket floating down a river. Moses, you guessed it. Remember Moses. Picture Charlton Heston. <laughs> Moses comes. God uses Moses to deliver his people, Israel, out of Egypt. Now we know the Exodus story, the, the sea parts Israel goes through. It's awesome. Have you ever thought, where are they going? They're headed to the promised land. Finally, finally, God's promise. He's bringing them out of Egypt. He's going to take them to their promised land. They will be his people, land flowing with milk and honey. All these things that they've dreamed about for 400 years in slavery and generations before that. But <coughs> Israel grumbles and they disobey and they lose their faith. And they eventually get so bad that God says, all right, forget it. This generation is not going to step foot into the promised land. You're going to wander around in the desert and the wilderness for 40 years until this generation dies off. And then we'll try it again with the next generation. You guys have blown it. Okay, that's this whole 40-year wandering in the wilderness thing. That's what happened there. Okay, so old generation dies off in the wilderness, including Moses. Moses' successor, Joseph, I mean Joshua, steps up. That's where we are here in chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 is riding the crest of this massive tidal wave of promise, of God's promise, of the promised land. It's about to crash into Canaan. So this is an extremely important place in Scripture. We know so much about Moses. I mean, he was really important. I mean, God used him majorly. But in some ways, Joshua is at least as important as Moses in the history of Israel. He's actually the man that's going to be used by God to lead them into the promised land. And that's huge. So that's what's going on here. We have to understand this historically to get the significance of what's happening. So here we are. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. That's just the blunt, cold, hard facts. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, Joshua, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Now, the main thing that I think is conveyed by this chapter about the character of God that I want us to absorb is that God fulfills his promises. God fulfills his promises. He does. That seems simple. But we need to know this truth. We need to soak in this truth 
this morning. We need to somehow just sew our hearts into the very fabric of this truth that God fulfills His promises. Even if it's generations, 400 years, He fulfills His promises. He doesn't forget. He's not like we do. He fulfills His promises. But it doesn't often look like we think it's going to. And it's not always on our time that we're expecting. He fulfills his promises, but he does it his way, he does it in his time. It was a result of this phenomenon, of God's peculiar, unexpected timing, that kept causing the Israelites to stumble all the time, and to lose their faith all the time. <clears throat> they as a nation would doubt and they would fear. If you read through Exodus, they're always like, oh, why did you leave us out of Egypt just to die? And they would just forget God promised them the promised land. But because it was taking so long, they just kept losing their faith. And Joshua was afraid too, as we're going to see. But before that, I want to introduce you to Joshua a little bit better. Um, it's most likely that he actually wrote this book. Joshua probably wrote this book. Um, at the end, it describes his death, and there may have been an editor or an assistant that finished that part. He probably wrote this book. He was born in Egypt during their time in slavery. That's what he did. That's how he was born into slavery in Egypt. Uh, we first meet him in Exodus 17. Moses handpicks him to lead a military defense against an enemy. <coughs> Later, we see that Joshua actually accompanied Moses up the mountain, Mount Sinai. You know, picture again, Charlton Heston with the Ten Commandments on the, on the tablets. Joshua went with him up there. I think in the movie it shows him like halfway down the mountain. I don't know. I, I'm not sure it says exactly where he was when God was actually giving Moses the law. But Joshua was, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. He even went with him up the mountain of God. That's huge. We learn in Numbers 11 that Joshua was Moses' attendant or assistant from his youth. So as a young man, maybe even a boy, Joshua was serving Moses. He was like his little sidekick. His buddy, his right-hand man. For Moses, the, the sea-parting, ten-commandment, carrying Moses, the one that announced the ten plagues to the, to the Pharaoh of Egypt, Joshua was his right-hand man. Can you imagine that? I have a couple of mentors in the ministry. I cannot imagine trailing Moses through my formative years. Joshua was one of the Twelve spies that first scoped out the promised land. Twelve went in, twelve came out. Ten of them said, we can't go in there. It's too scary. And Joshua and Caleb say, yes, we can because God promised them. God promised us this land. Joshua and Moses were so close that Moses actually gave him the name Joshua. His name was Hosea before Moses started calling him Joshua. He had to be pretty close to somebody. I don't know if it started off as like a nickname and it caught on. Or if he said, from now on, your name is Joshua. I don't know how that happened. But Moses is one that actually named him Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. Joshua was a servant, a soldier, a scout. The Bible says that he was spirit-filled. And he was filled with wisdom. He was very loyal to Moses. And at the end of Joshua, we see his death. He dies at the age of 110. Now, we know that the book of Joshua spans a length of time, probably about 20 to 30 years. So do the math. How old is Joshua 
where we meet up with him in Joshua 1, when God says, okay, get up, take these people to the promised land. He's probably somewhere between 80 and 90 years old. Maybe around 85. Just so you can picture this man. About 85 years old, we'll say. Almost all of his life has been under the umbrella of Moses. Because he was a support guy for Moses. I've been the support guy, like the number two. That's a very comfortable place to be. My last two jobs, I was, I was that way. One was a PR firm. I was the first hire. Didn't know anything about PR. I was just sort of the gopher. But I was like the right-hand man for the owner. And it's a comfortable place to be because none of the responsibility really sags on your shoulder. You know, that's all on the head guy. You're just helping. And the photography studio is the same way. None of the like financial risk involved with the, an entrepreneurial thing like that. None of that was on my shoulders. I was just the support guy. That's a very comfortable place to be. I enjoy being the support guy. But now, as God says so clearly, Moses, my servant, is dead. That blanket of security, Joshua, stripped away. And now you're my man. He's dead. Now, therefore, I want you to arise and lead this people to finally receive the promise of the promised land. The weight, the magnitude of what's happening in this chapter is just huge. And I think after this blanket of security was stripped away, Joshua was terrified. Follow along with me and I'll show you why I think that. You don't have to flip to all these. But I'm going to read a couple of things to you. In Deuteronomy 31, 6-8, this is when Moses is commissioning Joshua. Before he dies, Moses is saying, okay, you're going to be in charge after I'm gone. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And then Moses called to Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, brought him up in front of everybody and said, Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall give it to them as an inheritance. Twice, be strong and courageous. Don't fear, don't tremble. A little bit later on, talk to Joshua again. He says, Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them. Joshua 1.6, which we read, God's talking to Joshua. He says, Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land. Then the very next verse, only just be strong and very courageous. Then a little later on, after he talks to them a bit more, he says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then down at the end of the chapter we read, the people are talking to Joshua. And they say, we're going to do whatever you want us to do. And what's the last thing they say to him? Only be strong and courageous. It seems that everybody around knew that this was a terrifying thing that Joshua was stepping into. And I think he was really scared. Now this is a historic event. Um, you know, this is real history. Joshua was a real man. This is what God spoke to him. So we can't take all this and apply it directly to ourselves as though God's saying this to us in necessarily the same way he's saying it to Joshua. But there is a broader principle illustrated here, supported by the rest of Scripture. There's a truth to apply to our hearts. And I'll show you how I know that. Uh, I mean, we're not commanded to go into the promised land. 
God's not saying to Matt Bromwell, be strong and courageous. You're going to take these people to the promised land, like he said to Joshua. But there's broader principles to apply to our lives. This, this phrase, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. This is not the only place that comes across in the Bible. There's lots of places. I'm just going to read one to you. It's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself and God himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. To the New Testament writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, took this truth about God's character and applied it more broadly. So we can do that too. I'm not being reckless with the text to do that this morning. God will be with his people. He will not fail his people. He will not forsake his people. What about this exhortation to be strong and courageous? As we wait for him to fulfill his promises. Again, that's, that happens elsewhere in the scriptures, many places. I'm just going to read one from Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. This is a psalm of David. The psalms are here to help us worship. They contain rich truth that can be broadly applied to all God's people. David says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So these things, although God is speaking them to Joshua, they represent things in God's character that we can apply more broadly to ourselves. I just want to take you through that so you knew that I'm, I am being careful with the text here. I'm not just jumping to apply something to us that doesn't really apply. This does apply to God's people today. Because we, like Joshua, find ourselves in the meantime. God has made his promise. And we believe it. But it's not happened yet. We're in the meantime. And in the meantime, there is pressure. There's incredible pressure. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You guys who are weary, go to Jesus. He will give you rest. Some of us are still waiting for this rest. Elsewhere, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to wear, I'm paraphrasing, or what you're going to eat. Don't even worry about your lives, because God takes care of these things for the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. And you're much more important than those things, so he'll do that for you too. He'll provide for you. And we hear that promise. But some of us are sitting here in the meantime waiting. I don't see how he's going to provide. I mean, I'm getting bills in the mail and I'm not getting checks. And we're in the meantime waiting for the fulfillment of this promise. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good need. Some of us are still waiting for this abundance. This sufficiency. Some of us do not feel as though that promise has been fulfilled in our lives just yet. And the pressure is on. And the pressure forces us to doubt and distraction, just like the Israelites. Do you remember when Moses was leading the Israelites? And Moses had them camped out in the wilderness and said, I'm going up to Mount Sinai. Joshua's coming with me. God gives him the law. He's up there for 40 days. Within that 40 days, Israel's like... <laughs> 
Man, he went up that mountain like 18 days ago, and I have not heard from him. What is going on? And so eventually the pressure gets so great, they're just, I just picture them pacing back and forth. You know, God let us out of Egypt. We're out here in the wilderness. I mean, we've got this promised land, sure, but Moses is like up a mountain somewhere. He could be dead. We don't even know. They did not have cell phones back then. If they did, if the signal wouldn't have been great, I'm sure. <laughs> like, this is not going well. Pressure gets too strong. They go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and say, all right, forget it. Make us a golden calf. We've got to do something. We can't sit around waiting. We've got to do something. Make us a golden calf. Here's our earrings, our gold. So he does. They worship a golden calf. And Moses comes down and hears about it. He's like, what are you doing? It destroys the Ten Commandments. Do you guys remember all this? I always thought it was so silly that they couldn't wait. God had just parted a whole sea for them. And here it's, it's coming up on 40 days and they get fancy and they have to make a golden calf to worship. I thought, that's so ridiculous. But as I study this passage and I look at my life, I wonder, how many days does it take before I start to doubt God's promises? Can I even wait 40 days? How many days does it take waiting for God to fulfill his promise to us before we go make a golden calf out of our plans or our savings accounts or whatever it is that we turn to for comfort and the fulfillment of the things that God says he's going to take care of other than God? We're making golden calves all the time. Another example, example of a promise. As a preacher, I desperately want to see spiritual transformation happen in y'all's lives. That's what drives me. I, I want so badly for, for when I preach this word for you guys to be like, yes, he's right. And just your lives to change and your hearts to just open up. But that doesn't happen like immediately after a sermon. It doesn't often happen within the week. It doesn't. I mean, I've only been here for in, like 10 months as a pastor. And there's things that just haven't happened yet. And I know scripture in Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My word, which goes forth from my mouth, will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I know that promise. But how often I just get antsy. I'm like, I know you say this, but this guy and this woman and these kids, I don't see the transformation happen. How tempting it is to turn to some golden calf of, of emotional stuff. And pastors do it all the time. They, they lose faith in the promise that God's word is going to accomplish the change. And they start bringing out all kinds of other gimmicks. Fancy stuff, fancy programs. They're all golden calves. That part of the sermon is really for me, though. Thanks for listening in. <laughs> one more. John 14, 1 through 4. Jesus says, my father's house, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. Where is he? We've been waiting a long time. Are we going to be able to keep faith in that promise? Are we going to start to doubt and get distracted? In 2 Peter 3, I'm running out of time, so I won't flip there, but Peter sums it up kind of nicely, and he just basically says that God doesn't work like we do. 
One day is like a thousand years to him. A thousand years is like one day to him. We can't expect him to work on our schedule. We just have to relax. So many of us are in the meantime. Like Joshua was. I want to get to one more thing. I know we're running tight. Let me just paraphrase for what God's saying to Joshua. Okay, Moses is dead. Get up. They've been weeping for 30 days. We see in Deuteronomy. Get up. Take this people across this flooded river into this land where there's, there's strong nations in it that you're going to have to overthrow. Get up. Go do it. By the way, there's something I want you to be doing. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. But I'm not commanded you to be strong and courageous. What have God just like, I'm not. Just be strong and courageous. Feel like God, some kind of godly exasperation seems to come through there. Why does this blurb about meditating on God's law just kind of slip in. Why is that sandwiched in between all this other stuff? I think, for the sake of time, I'm just going to cut straight to the chase here. I think what God's saying to most, I mean, to Joshua here is, don't tremble. Focus on living according to this book. Don't be dismayed. Focus on how I've taught you to live. Don't let your foot slip to the right or to the left. this. <coughs> Don't tremble, Joshua. Keep this book of the law on your lips. You know, when we start to feel this pressure, the doubt and the distractions start to come, we start to start thinking about what kind of golden calves can I pull out and get through this. What are you usually talking about? What fills your lips for conversation? Typically for me, I'm talking about my fears and the things that I don't, the uncertainties and all oh, this might happen. And the fears, the doubt, that's what fills my lips. And God's saying, no, don't let that dominate your conversation. This, focus on this. Don't be dismayed, Joshua. Meditate on this law day and night. Because day and night you'll be tempted to meditate on the fear. To meditate on the danger. That's my territory, not yours, Joshua. You focus on this, I'll take care of that. Because you can be certain of this, Joshua. I am going to fulfill my end. The only thing that can keep this from happening is you letting your path stray from this. That's what kept the previous generation of Israel out of the promised land. That's the only thing that can keep this generation out. I'm going to fulfill my promise. Are you going to fulfill your promise? It's... It's a picture of like a sponge. I mean, how can we be strong and courageous when the pressure is so great? The fear is so real. The picture is like we're a sponge. We just have to be soaked up, super saturated with God's Word. So that when the pressure comes, what comes out isn't fear, isn't dismay. It's Scripture. It's truth. It's God's promise. And the world's constantly bringing us out. And we have to constantly be letting this back in. That's why it's... Day and night meditation, not one hour a week on Sunday mornings. That's not, you're going to get dried out. It's like in Psalm 1, it says, Blessed man delights in the law and meditates on day and night. It's like a tree planted by 
rivers of water, because it's planted with this. So you can see, I won't read for the sake of time how Joshua responds. Verses 10 through six, uh, 15 will show you that you can read. But he does get up, he boldly proclaims God's promises and commands the people. The people respond. I love how the people respond. They say, everything we commanded us, we're going to do. Wherever you send us, we're going to go. Just like we obeyed Moses in all things, we'll obey you. Oh, Joshua, I have to be like, just get up, let's get up. Because <laughs> they constantly were screwing everything up. So we see how Joshua responds, we see how the people respond. How are we going to respond? I'm so glad we have a history book like Joshua, that we can see God's character lived out in real situations, real history. I pray that it will strengthen our faith. I'm going to close rereading this verse from Psalm. And as I flip into it, we have a closing song. I want you to consider that closing song your opportunity <coughs> to respond. Through singing, through prayer at your pew, uh, through prayer here at the altar, wherever is most appropriate for you to respond genuinely. I read Psalm 27, 14, closing. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I believe that's his message for us this morning. Let's pray before we sing our final song. Father, thank you once again for your word. Help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Give us the grace to be disciplined enough to meditate in your word day and night. Lord, help us to wait for the fulfillment of your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.